Hello, and welcome to the Talking Techniques podcast. Brought to you by Biotechniques, this show brings you the latest from the frontiers of the life sciences, straight from the people exploring them. I'm your host, Biotechniques digital editor, Tristan Free, and in this episode, we'll be getting into the technique renowned and cursed in equal measure throughout the life sciences, Western blotting. Coming up, we'll discuss treating your Western blots with the utmost respect for the best results. Just treat it like your fine china and not your Tupperware. <laughs> and the value of a technique that may not be the Ferrari of lab science world, but certainly separates the wheat from the chaff. It's like the Toyota Corolla of techniques. You know, <laughs> it's not glamorous. It doesn't make the headlines, but it's incredibly ubiquitous and utilitarian. I personally think if you perform a Western blot successfully, it can be a source of pride because that's the validation of your thoroughness and technique. Here to help me through uh, the hand-wringing, hair follicle-destroying history and process of Western blotting, and hopefully to explain the beauty and potential of the technique, is Kenneth O, Senior Project Manager at Biorad Laboratories. So, Kenneth, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So, so firstly, Ken, um, can you tell us a bit about the history of Western blotting and, and some of the most important discoveries that it has been involved in? Sure, that's a great question. In, in the latter part of 19, the 1970s, uh, there was obviously a need to do more protein identification and detection. So there were actually three groups that were concurrently working on a technique whereby complex sample of proteins were electrophoretically separated, but the identification component was, um, was still under development. So what these three groups did, um, again, somewhat simultaneously, was to transfer the embedded proteins from the gel. Um, and in that state, uh, they're difficult to interrogate by antibodies. So they, they made the clever discovery of transferring it to a porous yet um, permeable membrane, such as nitrocellulose. So those three groups were George Stark at Stanford, Many people have probably heard of Harry Tobin. Um, he's credited with doing much of, uh, much of the discovery and W. Neil Burnett out of um, Seattle. And he coined the term Western blotting as a homage to Northern and Southern blotting and the fact that he lived on the West Coast of the US. Uh, so by and large, um, since, the, since the invention of that assay, it was, it was the driver for many, many uh, protein detection experiments for the next several decades. And it's one of the, probably the most um, longest utilized assays, and it still retains its relevance today, uh, mostly just by virtue of ex its accessibility. You know, once a scientist has the technique down, then it, become, it can become a standard technique in the lab. And um, obviously the cost too, the cost is very accessible. Oftentimes I tell people it, the technique, it's, it's like the Toyota Corolla of techniques. You know, <laughs> it's not glamorous, it doesn't make the headlines, but it's, it's incredibly ubiquitous and utilitarian and um, it serves its purpose. And I, I personally think if one, if you know, if you perform a Western blot successfully, it can be a source of pride because that's the validation of your thoroughness and techniques, so. 
one of the key things you you flagged there is the the accessibility and and it's pretty ubiquitous it's across most labs you'll see it almost anywhere um but on a personal level my my lab career was nipped in the bud pretty early on um mm. at university and, and probably in no small part uh due to western blotting um <laughs> and um can you explain why they can be even once you've sort of you've got the process down you're following the procedures sometimes they just don't seem to work can you explain why this these can be such a frustrating procedure at times let me do my best it's a it's a fairly methodical technique that does um, require a number of manual manipulations and also concurrent with that is is being conscious of a number of factors that one has to optimize during the process so it, it requires kind of the optimization of sample preparation so that the majority, if not all of your samples are introduced into the gel. It requires an efficient degree of transfer from the gel to the membrane. And then of course, the optimization of the immunodetection and immunoprobing steps, uh, make, making sure that the primary antibody is specific and the secondary antibody is specific as well. And in addition to the specificity, I think um, the concentration of introducing those two reagents during the incubation steps is really important as well. Um, and so is it because of those, um, those many steps that there are kind of like areas and, and stages where you can introduce errors, sort of either human errors or potentially contaminants that, that can affect it? Yeah, precisely. Um, the, probably the most challenging part is the stepwise optimization. So, um, you know, the visual, the kind of the the blessing and the curse of Western blotting is that it's a highly visual technique, but the visualization historically has has only been um, achieved at the final step. So, so that represents the sum of all the optimization or in some cases, unfortunately, the sub-optimization of each step. So that requires a little bit of reverse engineering in order to optimize and troubleshoot. Uh, so I think that's uh, that takes just a little bit of diligence and patience because optimization oftentimes will just have to be performed in the stepwise manner. So it's not until you get to that, that final visualization step that you know whether or not it's worked. And then it's quite hard to identify which stage it's, it's gone wrong at um, to go back and correct. Is there any way to kind of like address this issue and see uh, and maybe streamline the process some more um, to remove some of those those steps and then also make it possible to make it make it easier to, to identify where you're going wrong in the process? Oh, that's a great question. Um, yeah, so again, it's, it's Western blotting is highly visual assay and that's one of its benefits and curses. So historically, um, troubleshooting can only occur once you receive, once you could view and record the final blot image. But uh, Biorad has developed a stain-free process, which you may be familiar with, but it's in essence, it's, um, it's a modification of um, intrinsic fluorophores in the protein, in this case, tryptophan. So tryptophan does have a fluorescence um, it does have fluorescence properties, but it, it takes place in a spectrum that's kind of, it's difficult to assay. 
just by virtue of its short UV wavelength. So by modifying a small percentage of the tryptophans within the proteins, that affords the ability to visualize the protein in the gel, as well as visualizing the protein after it's been transferred to the membrane. So in essence, you're, that gives you some quality checks throughout the Western blotting process. So this represents a significant improvement over historical methods um, because again, you can you can observe the you can observe the efficiency and quality of your processes and steps throughout um, the Western blotting process rather than having to wait till the end uh, in order to in order to verify the quality of your blot. But what are, what are some of the, the key variants of, of Western blotting and what are they differently aligned to in terms of their application? Oh, sure, that's a great question. Uh, so I think by and large, the, the major technique has been um, interrogating with primary and secondary antibodies uh, and detect, detecting with a um, chemiluminescent reagent such as um, aluminol and peroxide mixtures. So that's been the driver for many decades. And that is a very sensitive technique. Um, and it's been around for, as I mentioned, a number of decades. And there are there continue to be advances regarding um, enhancement of the chemiluminescent reagents in order to increase the sensitivity levels with that technique. I will say a more a more um, emerging technique is fluorescence, where it has historically been a little bit challenging just because the requirements for sensitivity with historical fluorophores um, didn't put it at parity with chemiluminescence techniques. But now, kind of by virtue of uh, really high efficiency, high quantum yield fluorophores, the sensitivities uh, are reaching equivalence to chemiluminescence. And fluorescence has the benefit of a little bit more facile uh, multiplexing capabilities and a higher dynamic range. Um, and, and so what's the utility of performing um, some of these different Western blot types over different, um, over others? Wh which kind of um, areas of research would you perhaps use the um, fluorescence versus the chemiluminescence? With a classical chemiluminescent Western blot, as I mentioned previously, it is fairly ubiquitous, so it doesn't. So it can be used in a in a number of different research areas. So more recently, um, researchers are utilizing the benefits of fluorescent Western blots, and as I had mentioned previously, uh, the the major benefit is the ability to simultaneously uh, identify and quantify more than one protein. Uh, so um, obviously one of the major applications areas is the interrogation of phosphorylated proteins. And oftentimes that needs to be referenced against the total protein composition of a specific protein. Brill, um, and what are some of the most, um, to your mind, the most exciting developments in, in Western blotting? Obviously, it's a very established technique. It's been around for a long time. But um, what are some of the things that are kind of breathing new life into this technique at the moment? Uh, so I think there are, there are a number of new developments. And the main theme is to expand the capabilities, but also make it easier for the user. So 
we at BioRat and other life science companies have developed faster transfer techniques, which obviate the fairly time consuming and multiple manual steps required from tank blotting, which was the historical technique. So rather than um, one or two or overnight transfer from the gel to the membrane, that transfer process can take place in a manner of minutes. So that's been a, a big boost for the technique in general. And I would also say um, it's not quite as glamorous, but the quality of antibodies from antibody manufacturers and vendors has increased significantly. So I think in the past, uh, researchers were, were resigned to order you know, six or more antibodies and just hope that one of them would, would function well in their particular research context. Whereas now um, suppliers are providing more validation information so that they um, scientists are, can be a little bit more confident regarding their purchasing decisions with those antibodies. And lastly, I will say, as I kind of alluded to in the previous answer, the sensitivity gains of both chemiluminescence and fluorescence have increased significantly. So scientists can now look for those scant and low abundant proteins uh, expressed, you know, in their biological systems to an extent that, that wasn't possible before. Um, not obviously not by virtue of the technique, but just by virtue of the lack of sensitivity of historical reagents. And so that that ability to to detect those those low abundance um, proteins, what what kind of research fields and um, and applications does that now allow um, researchers to um, to explore with Western blotting that they wouldn't have been able to do before? I think it it would be difficult to capture um, or articulate that as a research area, but I would say more generally, it would it allows for broader interrogation of low abundance proteins in general, and the kind of the effect of that is um, historically for low abundance proteins, it would require some degree of concentration or sacrificing a great deal of sample, uh, so that might compromise the integrity of the data. Whereas now. Um, you know, if the researcher is on, only has available to him or her a scant amount of sample, they can proceed with Western blotting uh, with a proper number of biological and technical replicates to get good quality data. So just a little a follow on to that is, you know, with a low abundant protein, the technique that was historically invoked is amino precipitation, which is a concentration step. Uh, but when one does so, it's, it kind of obliterates the quantitation ability because it, you, cannot, you cannot accurately um, calculate the extent of, of concentration, particularly between samples. So it, it relegates that to just an identification process and not a quantification process. Are there any... Um... Any key sort of discoveries or um, or research papers released recently um, that have hinged on these Western blotting techniques and, and perhaps on the the updates to Western blotting that have allowed these discoveries and these papers to be uh, to be created? Yeah, I think touching on the multiplexing capabilities that are being put to practice more recently, uh, for example, 
one of the scientists with whom we collaborate, they look at neuronal de derived um, samples. By virtue of multiplexing, they are able to look at several proteins in a signaling pathway and kind of ascertain the extent of upregulation and or phosphorylation in that signaling pathway with, again, a small amount of sample, which they weren't able to do before, or conversely uh, required um, significantly greater sample volumes. Um, and when you're using these techniques, do you, do you have any tips for best practice to, to help maybe sort of anyone that's out there uh, still suffering like I was back in my university days um, for, for getting things right or um, and how to sort of minimize the frustration? Yeah, that's that can be a 20 minute discussion in and of itself. But I think what I would like the audience to move away with is, as I was alluding to in previous parts of our discussion, historically, by virtue of the lack of sensitivity, you know, scientists would just try to put on um, as much protein as possible into the gel, just to putatively increase the probability of detecting and quantifying their target proteins. But now, because of the increased quality of antibodies and sensitivity of techniques, um, I think the the motto should be, uh, you know, not more is better, but better is better. So, take the time to to optimize each step. Um, use good quality blocking reagents and antibodies, and don't skimp on the volumes. And be thorough with washing. Just you know, things of that nature. <laughs> and again, I think the, you know, we've, we've done studies at Biorad looking at just how thoroughly one washes the trays. And that may seem like a trivial exercise, but it does make a big difference. So just treat it like your fine china and not your Tupperware. <laughs> Excellent. Good, good advice for a, a lot of laboratory research, I'm, I'm sure. So when you look into the, the future of Western blotting in the next five years, um, what, what do you see for the technique, um, both in potential updates to it and then, and also um, any of its applications? Um, I personally see a lot more uptake of fluorescence Western blotting. So uh, the, the availability of, of really highly sensitive fluorophores on secondary antibodies, as well as directly conjugating to primary antibodies uh, will make it easier for scientists to interrogate one or more proteins. Just for context, even with chemiluminescence-based Western blots, you know, scientists would attempt to multiplex just, and that was kind of a crude process of just cutting up the blot. I think editors of peer-reviewed journals, the, the standard for submission is becoming a little bit higher just because it's a little, it's a little bit harder to uh, verify by a third party the quality of, of the work if a, if a membrane has in fact been cut. Uh, I definitely know that um, there are certain of my colleagues that would, would see red flags if they saw a, a, a blotting image that's been sort of sliced up and, and moved around. Yeah. Yeah, and photoshopped. So yeah. I think again that kind of speaks to the the virtue of our stain-free um, technology is because it doesn't necessitate cutting up the blot at all. And 
And I'll also add that a number of peer-reviewed journals are, are strongly suggesting uh, utilizing a technique, the total protein staining technique, which stain-free technology is, as the basis for normalizing when presenting semi-quantitative data for manuscript submission. So that I think there's a number of there are a number of trends that are occurring that the primary goal is to benefit the scientific community, obviously, uh, but they also have the added benefit of making the data more reliable and making the process easier. Brilliant. Um, uh, and if there was one thing that you could ask for to, to really bring Western blotting back to the forefront um, of sort of lab technologies again, uh, and to, for it to be used to its full potential, um, what, what would it be? I think um, an area that, that would greatly benefit the scientific community is providing a little bit more automation in the immunoprobing steps, because that, that is probably the most onerous step, you know, blocking for a certain period of time, probing and incubating with the primary antibody, performing thorough washes, and then repeating the process with a secondary antibody, if that's the technique that that particular researcher is using. So that I think we could circle back to the diligence and patience required because those steps, if they're not, if they're done suboptimally, then that can be a source of significant amount of variability. I think life science companies such as ours, we owe it to the scientific community to automate that and make that process more uniform. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, Ken. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to find out more information about Western blotting, check out our InFocus on Western blotting, supported by Biorad, over on www.biotechniques.com. Thank you for listening, and goodbye. <laughs>